The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. to the business of the business podcast i am your co-host jp john pause from the two-man power trip of wrestling and of course joining me is my co-host mr trump mania himself lobby margolin lobby how you doing today i'm doing great um we're recording uh just a couple hours after the news has broken that wwe network will be transitioning to um to the Peacock uh, streaming network, a, a big initiative of NBC Universal. At the time we're taping, things are, are still up in the air in terms of if NXT will be transitioning to, it seems that way, the way the press release was written. Yeah, I wanted to definitely touch on that because I know we wanted to talk about that anyway, even before this breaking news came out. So was this a shock to you at all? Was this rumored? Like, where did this all come from? Um, the idea of, of WWE tying in with Peacock had been around for a while. When you would think about WWE, think about streaming services and what's next, they tend to sort of go deeper in with their trusted partners, whether it's a Fox or an NBC Universal. So it was unclear, um, let's say a year ago, sort of how much power was going to be put behind Peacock, but they seem to be really investing in. Um, you know, things like The Office, which is really expensive and developing their own uh, programming, like we talked about Punky Brewster, which uh, sounds like it'll have some WWE cameos. Um, what is surprising is to take the whole WWE network and sort of roll it into that and um, even discount the price if you're looking to watch commercials with it. The thing is, it was like shocking shocking news it's just like wow like what is going on here like uh, i didn't think that this was a, a deal i mean there was the rumors about nxt and doing some certain different things but a 200 million dollar per year for five years aka a one billion dollar deal their third billion dollar deal in the last couple of years which is amazing uh, i just was shocked by it and, and just didn't see it coming at all yeah, and, um, you know, we're going to talk about them a little bit later, but George Barrios and Michelle Wilson really seem to have gotten the ball rolling in terms of rolling out the WWE Network. I don't know if this was their vision ultimately, but um, like you talked about, it it has become, you have uh, Saudi Arabian money, you have um, the television rights. It used to be hard to, to remain on, on television. Um, so... Uh, these are big money drivers. And look, we talked about it. live events, especially during the pandemic, had become nothing. But it looks to be a very small part of the company if it continues, you know, in the future. 
Yeah, one of those things where it's like, wow, this is a huge, huge deal for WB. And yeah, just look at it and people are like, oh, I don't know. I feel like it's a great deal for WB. We'll see how much of a good deal it is for NBC and the Peacock. I just think it's a tr- tremendous deal for them. Another billion dollar deal. Say what you will about the current product and, and how bad it is. And just, you know, how terrible the the, the um, creative has been and all this other stuff. But Vince behind the scenes has been able to just be a, a total great businessman during a time where you would think it would be a, a struggle selling the WWE product to somebody. Right. And of course, it always comes down to Vince sort of as the final decision maker, the most powerful person in the company. But again, he's done a, a great job in, in hiring with Nick Khan, who seemed to have his own vision in terms of unlocking more rights deals when it seemed like a lot of them were already locked up. I think the one challenge is that if they perceived NXT sort of as the third brand, now it'll once again be the niche brand, because when you're not on a platform that's wide where you have to pay for it behind an extra paywall or window, it's very hard to be the third brand. So I think there's a lot of value to it. They weren't doing tremendously well, um, you know, on USA getting under 600,000 viewers some weeks. But, um, you know, the way I think about it is that you had certain things in media that were mainstream and look at when they started going behind paywalls, how they had gotten diminished. You could look at box. Right. Years ago, it was on the major networks and then they got the big money from HBO and later Showtime. And before that, you had closed circuit. You know, it wasn't something that that's talked about in a mainstream way unless it's a fight that breaks through. And if you think about some of the big um, television personalities like uh, Howard Stern. Right. You know. He, he got the big money for satellite radio, but he uh, people stopped talking about him from a mainstream perspective. So it's that balance of, of money and mainstream interest and sort of what serves things best in the end. Of course, it's the bottom line, but years later, can you appeal to a mainstream audience if you are sort of behind that paywall? So I would be concerned about it if I was putting the main show, like let's say Raw or, or SmackDown on there. But if it ends up being NXT, this seems like the best way for them to make money from it. And I think that there might be changing the pay-per-view structure. Do you have to pay? Is it a tiered thing? What's going on with the pay-per-views? Is it still going to be free? Like, What is the deal? Yeah, as far as I understand it, it seems like everything will continue to roll through um, Peacock, similar to how it did when the WWE Network was standalone. There had been talk about stripping um, the biggest pay-per-views away and sort of selling those separately, but it seems to make sense for the Peacock deal um, just to have it all in there together because that's the biggest driver. So for Peacock, it's sort of this war for... Um, subscribers and and renewal and they're a young player to the game they've done pretty well um, you know in the 20 um, millions of subscribers but to get somewhere like a Netflix you know which is almost fully engaged um, you know in terms of almost 70 80 million wherever they are right now you know you're going to have to do a lot more so if you can add 1.5 million from WWE Network and retain them that's you know a good percentage boost so why did peacock want to do it are they looking for more content are they looking to expand why did they want to do this deal so bad and why for one billion dollars yeah so you know you want to sort of establish yourself as a mainstream um platform you know 
just like it, it had been previously with the cable networks. You want to be a top cable network like a USA or TNT, TBS, A&E, something like that. Right now, um, there's still a land grab for um, streaming services, whether it's Prime or Netflix. And um, unless you have content that people are willing to pay for at a large scale, you know, it's very hard to establish yourself. So they have valuable reruns and they're doing some original remakes and, and so on, but you are able to grab WWE Network where you know you have, you know, a million plus people that will likely um, subscribe. So you just add that on top of whatever else you're doing. So for this deal, when does it actually start? Is it WrestleMania or does it start before then? Um I believe it's before then. It's the pay-per-view before somewhere around March, mid-March that it rolls Fast out. Lane, then. Yes. How come the stock initially didn't go up? I was just kind of surprised by that. WB stock. It's a hard thing to predict. And I am, uh, sometimes I have it, sometimes I don't. I happen to have the stock uh, this time. Um, not necessarily that I so much believe in the growth of the company, but it's kind of fun to own some of it, sort of like be more invested in the news and the information. Um, but, you know, the stock market is a very hard thing to predict. People usually do sell on good news um, because you're like, okay, this is as good as it gets, so let me get out. And sometimes there's other factors you can't even predict. It could be worldwide markets, how trade is going with China. But I was hoping for a bump today unfortunately uh i didn't see it hey that's just interesting the way the stock market works sometimes i know i can't figure it out but with nbc the sports network being done was that really something that they wanted to make a push and get some more quote-unquote sports-centric stuff i know it's really sports entertainment technically but is because they don't have nbc sports anymore they the peacock wants to get more um like sports content on there yeah, I think with the NBC Universal, it was like um, a strategic play, uh, kind of figure out where to position things best. And NBC Sports Network, although I did see numbers where it's the second highest rated, um, you know, uh, sports network in, in the U.S., it was kind of like Impact was the second biggest wrestling company uh, for years and years after, you know, uh, in the mid 2000s through the early 2010s, but what did it really mean, right? Um, uh, it wasn't like really, okay, you're beating CBS Sports Network and ESPN2 and uh, BN Sports, but like there wasn't really much prestige in being the second best and, and Fox Sports won. Um, so here, you know, uh, Peacock is something that they can really grow. So if you already have the rights for certain sports and some of it you could put into Peacock. And um, from the articles I read, they really want to strengthen USA. And interestingly, um, at least from the articles they described it, they're kind of thinking more like a, a TNT um, where it, it's not only you know original programming, but you have some sports, you have original programming, you have some reruns. So it's sort of like as much mainstream appeal as you can get. So with this move, do you think that this is just going to be like a bit even bigger quarter number for WB? You know, because last quarter was the biggest they've ever done. Do you think with this new billion dollar acquisition, that's going to be even bigger? Do we see more cuts coming? Like, what do you think is going to happen as far as quarterly and the money made for the WB profit pockets? 
That's a great question. So, you know, sometimes it's hard to tell when money comes due. I'd imagine when you have an announcement, like there's been a big down payment already. So, and it seemed like they had revised their, um, you know, their analysis or outlook. Uh, but I would imagine 2021 will be the biggest um, revenue year. Um, and now uh, the biggest profit um, you know, as well, that would, that would make a lot of sense. Will they continue to cut people? They might, um, you know, I hadn't thought about it yet, but you know, if you are rolling WWE network into Peacock, does Peacock have its own IT infrastructure? Does it have its own accounts payable per people? Does it have its own, um, tech people, you know, and, and so on. Um, so there might be some, some crossover there and, and they might be able to cut some people that worked for WWE network. It's kind of sad to, to say and to see, but, um, when the, one media rolls into another and there's areas of crossover, um, you don't often need as many people. That's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, I wonder if that's uh, going to be some more cuts coming with all this, you know, the, these new acquisitions, you know, you don't really need as many people, things like that, or they want to use their own people. So it's just an interesting thing. I always think of like, when you see a big move like that, is it something that they're countering that somebody else did? Like for instance, the Mets traded for Francisco Lindor, who's one of the best shortstops in baseball. Okay. They grabbed the headlines and all of a sudden the Yankees signed Corey Kluber who was a great ace a couple of years ago. And, and, you know, they get him. It's like, okay, maybe they take the headline back over because they just signed a former ace. Did WB do that? Like Barrios and Wilson, George Barrios, Michelle Wilson, basically said they're going to have $2 million, $200 million to raise, and they're going to use as a blank check, and they're going to be going public, and they're blah, blah, blah. Do you think in any way they look at Barrios and Wilson and are like, well, we see your little thing here, and we raise you this? That's a great question. I think things were already in motion pre-pandemic. Um, I'm very curious as to like who they were close to signing with at that time. It could have been Peacock, um, but it seemed like um, ESPN was in play, I think, from what I read. Um, so things yeah, changed yeah. so much. But I think deals sort of take so long to take place. Uh, you know, as we know in like the history of, of WWF and like smaller wrestling companies, they don't necessarily ignore like smaller players, even though you think like why. So I think Vince is definitely aware of what Barrios and Wilson are doing and um, <laughs> and how they wrote in their prospectus that they helped to grow the company from a North American centric brand to an international uh, programming show. Um, Vince is very much aware of that, but I think this had to be in motion months and months in advance. Like I mentioned before, you know, when I've uh, when I did like uh, a media deal with a it was a very small media deal, but with a big conglomerate, just the lawyering took forever. Like I knew that if there was going to be any change, it would be several weeks, if not months, till we move to the next stage. So uh, I don't think this is reactionary. This was planned for a long time. It might have even been in motion before Nikon got there, but who was probably the person that was able to close the deal. Man, this is just such a big win. It was interesting reading some of the fans, and it's always funny reading fans on Twitter because most of them have no idea what's going on, and some of them just are very reactionary. They just, oh, it's a horrible deal, blah, blah. This is nothing but a win for WB, right? I mean, I can't see any negative to it because I just think this is, wow, what a coup for them. Yeah, I think... Um... You know, there, there's just um, you know a couple a couple of risks, um, but I think it's very much a positive. Like I mentioned, you're taking NXT from a a mainstream you know 
top 15. So um, so you're moving from a, a top um, 15 cable network to, um, you know, something that that's streaming. So you're, you're moving out of the, the mainstream there. The second thing to keep in mind is, um, you know, people li- love the WWE Network for some of its, um, you know, non-traditional content, like the Territory Days. You could find some of that sort of um, I guess the bootlegs, for lack of a better word, or maybe different rights, um, you know, in different services, but like um, you get a crisp quality show as, as good as possible. But, you know, in the age of, um, you know, Trumpism and white nationalism, um, you know, to have content you could find from Smoky Mountain where it said Dirty White Boy and, and White Lightning. I don't know if NBC Peacock would be, um, you know, that appreciative of that being found on their network thing is if let's just say peacock gets nxt does that mean that nxt will definitely not be on tv no replays on tv it'll just be totally gone from television so it's it's not clear yet i had just seen before we started the podcast that um somebody was looking to sort of determine you know what that actually means but you know when you're on the same family um you know there might be ways of um you know, of using the content in, in different ways. And that's a great question for the future, actually, because let's say, you know, over the next two years, Peacock looks like something NBC Universal wants to invest in as their primary resource. Maybe you put Raw debuting on Monday nights and then on Peacock, and then you have the immediate replay on USA, or you have to wait till Tuesday night. So not saying what's the best strategy right now. But when you're part of the same family, um, if you work out the right content deal, you can utilize things in different ways. And sometimes that is a good way of of working things out so that, you know, for the best quality content, you have it um, delivered in one way and then, but you allow people access in another way. In a totally different media, um, Sesame Street has actually been able to make things viable by first premiering shows on HBO so that they can cover their production costs. And then later it migrates to uh, PBS. It would be interesting for NXT to see how they do if, uh, excuse me. It would be interesting how AEW does if there's no NXT going around for competition, because you know NXT was taking a lot of viewership away from AEW. I wonder if they could get to a million and beyond. Yeah, um, you know it's really interesting because it'll have been the worst strategy for WWE because you spotlighted them for over a year by having this Wednesday Night Wars. So you sort of help to establish them in the media and with fans, and then you sort of leave it, and then AEW has their night all to themselves. As we've seen, you know, not every fan that's watching NXT would migrate to AEW and and vice versa. So I think you'd see a, a bump. Um, but a more modest one than sort of like um, that 1.5 million total when AEW first premiered. And let's say you get the Peacock or the network, quote unquote, on Peacock. Didn't I see it's going to be half the price of what it is now? So it'll be $4.99 instead of $9.99? Or is there some different price structure as far as ads and stuff are concerned? Yeah, so that's what it looked like as far as I saw that, you know, if you do it with advertising, it's it's $4.99 and then it's double that, um, you know, if you don't want the ads. Man, it's 
got to be nothing but again a win for the wrestling fan if you uh you know want to pay half the price but you still get the same content unless they're taking away some of the content is that a possibility are they going to be taking off some of the content that's on there yeah that's what i'm wondering like is it really um is it really worth it to peacock to have like icw from scotland's who's party or something like that um you know that was like the niche of the niche or should you focus on like the main drivers of the product i think there's there's an argument um for both Man, it's just one of those things where it's like, if I can get WB right now, four ninety nine a month, but take away the stuff I don't even watch. I mean, it's it's a steal and a half. Yeah, I think some people will be like, hey, you know, I, I loved you know the territory, but they they never really rolled out like all of their content, so there's a lot that's still behind the scenes. But I think some people would be frustrated if if their favorite things about engaging with the content was the old. WWF um, shows from the late 70s, early 80s, and it's not there anymore. You got to love Variety and all those other magazines using wrestling puns, you know, like Peacock Pins, WB for network rights. You know what I mean? Like that corny, cliche wrestling puns were used like crazy on these articles. Oh, yeah, they love that stuff. <laughs> as far as just kind of moving on, I know this is a huge story, but just as far as moving on, because there's so much other news in the week and so many other things going on, I feel like we should touch on all that as well. But also, I think in the weeks to come, there'll be more coming out about the WB Network and Peacock that we can really, really delve into even further. So MLW and BN Sports, there's a lot of uh, supposeds on here um, with, you know, obviously NBC Sports kind of ties in here. Uh, the Premier League, so many different things kind of just pop into my mind about that and soccer and there's a bunch of different things. So what's the effect with NBC Sports and MLW and BN Sports or if there is any? Right. So we're just kind of thinking about sort of, you know, how does the ecosystem change and, uh, you know, how might it affect other wrestling companies? So, you know, um, you know, a lot of cable companies have different packages and and right now be in sports if it's on your package it's sort of like in a premium network a lot of times here um in in optimum cable in new york city for me it's sort of like you'd have to pay extra to have it but nbc sports network i think was on a regular tier so when you have one station leaving does another one smoothly come i don't know or let's say you know they had 85 percent or 85 million distribution so when that goes away does a network like be in kind of get more of consideration um also um, a soccer uh, website was thinking about um does nbc universal still want the premier league next time the rights come up um be in sports they do best with another with la liga another european league so would they now um, bid on premiere and then if they bid on premiere would there be more distribution for bn all this leading to more um traditional exposure for mlw so a lot of supposes but just something to think about for the future that is very, very interesting. Now, kind of moving on to something else. What about Cameo and all that Cameo money that WB was talking about? I mean, what's going on with the latest on Cameo? Yeah, so um, just as an example, when, when people talk about the Cameo, think about, okay, like what, 
you know, okay, it's a few bucks or whatever. But for someone like Mick Foley, who, you know, hasn't really had a presence on television for a while, but is obviously very popular and worthy of the title WWE legend, um, he made, and this is in pounds, uh, from The Sun, there was a great headline. WWE legend Mick Foley makes more than 100,000 pounds in six months flogging 75 pounds personal messages on Cameo. Uh, No one got flogged or hurt, to be clear, (laughs) right away. It's just more of a British way of saying things. But he charges 75 75 pounds, which is pretty reasonable, I think, compared to somebody like Ric Flair. And look, um, not having to leave his house, he's making, you know, I think that's the equivalent of $150,000, so about $300,000 a year just in Cameo. And if you he, he's under some sort of WWE deal, I imagine, um, Legends deal or whatever it is. So if he was restricted from doing that, that would be you know a big chunk of his income lost. Man, he's killing it on there. I didn't even realize it. Wow, look at Mick. Good job, Mick. Yeah, that you know, so so for you know, especially the top stars, you know, when they take that away, that's a lot of money lost. Oh man, um, just thinking about it, I remember reading that Big E was like killing it on there, and I didn't really look at many of the other guys. I think I saw Flair was killing it on there. It was just you know a few guys that was do, doing really really well, and man, I didn't realize Foley was doing that well. That's unbelievable. Yeah, and it's a great um, supplement now to um, not being able to go to conventions. I know you're very familiar with, with that world, mm-hmm. having promoted them, um, and it's a good um, good way to balance things. So next up, what about over-the-air stations? Are they going to grow their footprint? Like what's going to be going on with the, all these over-the-air stations now? Right. So as we've talked about, you know, for um, some of the smaller wrestling promotions, um you might've been a low power television station and now your digital station or, um, uh, you know, something to that effect. So part of it with the FCC was that like you're in a market and your signal shouldn't carry larger, but there's some recent, um, you know, language and, uh, rules um, that might expand your reach. So, um, you know, uh, it, it gained, so like when you looked at um, different um, of the bigger markets, so like Los Angeles would gain 3.4.3 million, Boston 3 million, Miami 2.7 million, Dallas 2.5 million, Detroit 1.5 million. So if you're sort of a local promotion or if you have some um, over the air coverage, you know, it really helps to expand it for you. So um, something to look at if you don't have like a, a national deal. Interesting. Hmm. I wonder if you will be able to grow your footprint right now in these times. Yeah. And, you know, especially with people cutting the cord, that's where people are starting to look at, um, you know, how do they supplement their local news and local television? So um, with new TVs, they're supposed to have like a ATSC 3.0 tuner built in over the next year or two. So it might be somebody like, okay, um, you know, I'll flip between that and, and my streaming channels. So it might become something that's like a bigger deal than it is today. What about Tubi? We were talking about Tubi uh, a bunch on this show, which is surprising, but we were kind of talking about their growth and maybe projected to be somehow as Vegas Fox one day and you know, talking about all this other stuff, but what about their viewership? What is it up? 
Yes, and not to fuel any rumors, but I follow um, Stephanie McMahon on LinkedIn, and she liked this article. So, you know, when we talked about wrestling migrating to something like Tubi, she's aware of the platform, certainly. So it's a Forbes article and says Tubi viewership up 58% in 2020, and it skews way younger, too. So it just goes to show that, you know, this platform is continuing to grow, Um 2.5 billion hours watched, up 58%. Um, the audience is much younger. They're 20 years younger on average than linear TV. Nearly half of the services, 33 million monthly users are under the age of 35. Interesting. Tubi, I think, is more popular than we realized, up 58%. That's amazing. Yeah, um, you know, I was on there recently. We watched a couple of movies, but um, I couldn't really get into it. It kind of seemed like um, content that I find in other places, but sometimes it's about the way that you make it available and, you know, the fact that it's free and it's an app. It really appeals to uh, younger people. Yeah, that's true. A lot of the stuff I, I watch on there, not that frequently, but I, it's free and it wasn't free someplace else. So I was like, hell, I'll check it out on Tubi. I know they play ads and it's like three ads or something, but it, it's something short. But since it was free, I was like, all right, I'll check it out on Tubi. So I even gave them a chance. Yeah. You know, once you have it, like I started checking out all those different streaming services. For me, when it goes through Prime, you know, it's kind of bumpy. Sometimes it takes a while to load and so on. So I'd imagine depending on how you are accessing it you know it's probably a smoother uh, watch yes definitely now kind of moving on to something else and something different what about the nhl's fan attendance policies and how will this affect wrestling in these covid times right so as we're thinking about um you know, uh, attendance, arena attendance as, as wrestling eventually gets indoors. Um, the NHL arenas are certainly major arenas that WWE likes to have shows like Raw or SmackDown in or, you know, some of their biggest shows. Um, so, you know, it's really mixed in terms of the way um, the, uh, the league is, is filling the seats based on the home owners. So Arizona is capped at 25,000, 3450. Um, Florida Panthers capped at 25%, 4147. Dallas Stars at 30%. So everyone is, you know, social distancing and really limiting um, the amount of fans in attendance if they're having any in attendance at all. So there's really no plan yet. There's still kind of, you know, it's still up in the air. So it'll be interesting to see how that affects um, pro wrestling, especially WWE and some AEW as they begin planning more in their future. Do you have to go by the, these guidelines? I mean, is this like just before it's the NHL or is this for the actual arenas itself? Because if it's just NHL, I guess you can kind of ignore it. But if it's the arena itself, you're not going to be able to ignore it at all. Yeah, Um I'd imagine each one is a complicated process. Like Florida doesn't have any cap, but maybe another state does. So you'd have to look at the regulations from the, the state, you know, the municipality, um, the arena. Um, I'd imagine WWE wants to be careful of not going far beyond. You know, they might want to say, oh, we're out. It'd be a weird thing to say now, but we're outdrawing um, the local NHL franchise when we come to town. But you don't want to be so far and above that when there's a problem that, that people can uh, can blame you. 
what is WrestleMania? What is the percentage of people that are going to be allowed into Raymond James Stadium this year in Tampa Bay in Tampa, Florida? Because I'm hearing it's going to be 21, 22,000, and I know it holds about 65 or 66,000. So what is the like the actual percentage? And is that number even correct that I'm saying? Yeah, I, I've heard around the same. I don't think they've announced it yet, but I think um, a lot of people are looking at sort of what the NFL announced for the Super Bowl, that they're going to have 22,500 in the stadium. Uh, two-thirds of them are, um, you know, ticket buyers or, you know, sponsors or whatever it is. And then one-third will be their will be first responders, I think, who've already been vaccinated, which would be a good idea. We don't want to take our, our heroes off the field by, um, you know, unfortunately uh, getting sick attending something like this. So um, I think they're going to be careful of that, but it sounds like a nice idea. Man, um, going from basically nobody in the Thunderdome to 22,000, and also the Super Bowl's doing, so you almost kind of maybe – rumored or expected them to, to kind of copy it maybe do the same maybe hopefully by then they can have more people in there but going from zero to twenty-two thousand seems like a hell of a leap that seems pretty good yeah i think especially on television if you can do it safely it seems uh you know much more um exciting you know it, wrestling for me was a very rough watch before they they figured it out you know i never liked the empty arena matches, um, Lawler and uh, Terry Funk did it well, but like you've seen it once, okay, and the, the Mick Foley rock thing was okay, but like it kind of wears on you after a while. Of course, you have to prioritize people's health, but if you could do it safely, it's you know much more engaging, even if the place isn't full. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, man, this got old real quick. You know what I mean? Not having fans in attendance and not uh, being able to really get those awesome reactions. Imagine The Rock versus Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania without a crowd or something. I mean, it, it's just not quite the same without the, the fans in attendance. You need that for WrestleMania and a lot of fans. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think there's a lot of excitement uh, when it's not, you know, just in a bubble. So for... The next topic at hand, I thought this was kind of a, an interesting thing and almost like not believable, but RVD, Rob Van Dam, is the chairman of a board. What board and where is he the chairman? Right. So there's a, um, for lack of a better word, a penny stock um, called uh, UAPC. Um, and um, they announced the appointment of Rob Van Dam uh, to, as the chairman of the board. Um and uh, interestingly, it's it's a little bit confusing, but um, UAPC, I believe it was an oil type of company or energy company. However, it appears that they acquired something called RVD Wellness LLC, which was created to make and distribute the highest quality CBD products that are both strong and effective, even for R RVD. UAPC has entered into a share exchange agreement to acquire RVD Wellness as a wholly owned subsidiary. This company's mission is to acquire properties, license, product lines, and distribution in the cannabis hemp industry through mergers and acquisitions. The plan is to expand these businesses around the globe, starting with RVD's line of products. So it's sort of like this company that existed that you know, wasn't necessarily doing what what they were created in name to do. And um, here they have a, a celebrity, somebody with uh, some cachet, depending on uh, what you're thinking about. And, um, you know, uh, it brings attention to the product. And 
look at this silly me as I'm looking at the product. When I first saw this stock, it was one penny. Today, it is two pennies. So if I took all my money and put it into this stock, it's a little bit hard to do on the OTC pink exchange. It's hard to, it's not as easy as just typing it in E-Trade from what I understand, but I would have doubled my money. So, um, you know, so I really missed out on things, unfortunately, but it looks like their strategy is paying off already. Wow. Look at that. Doubling. You know what I mean? Wow. Look at that. I wonder how successful it will, will, will really truly be. Yeah. These OTC type shares, um, you know, they're, they're very volatile and it, it's hard to trade in them. Um, the last time I had an idea like this where I really wanted to buy it was when a um, an MMA company signed a deal with CBS and they were already public. So I was like, I'm going to buy this stock and then I'll sell it like right after they're on CBS. But I couldn't even get the shares. Although, according to the numbers, if I would have, I, I would have done really well. Damn, you... Uh... You missed out big time right there. Yeah. So if you're listening now, check out UAPC on the OTC pink boards. Um, and uh, we're taping this on the 25th. So see how much it's gone up or down from two cents um, because it's already doubled in, in just a few days. As far as some, the next topic at hand, let's go to the Thunderdome. You actually have some Thunderdome attendance stats. What's going on with the activity of the WWE Thunderdome? Yes, so the famous group who helped to create the Thunderdome on LinkedIn, they create, they shared some stats by the numbers. Fifty At, at the time of this writing, so six days ago, 50 primetime episodes, 500,000 total registered fans, 226 total countries and territories represented. 70% of virtual fans returned multiple times. 100% full capacity for each show. A 50-show sellout streak. Wow, look at that. Nice. I wonder if that's something they're going to really start touting, because I haven't really heard them say that on the air or not. Maybe I missed it. Yeah, no, I, I only saw it... Um, uh, LinkedIn is my secret to follow these companies that they often don't share in um, Twitter or sort of like through the wrestling community. So it was a good boon for the famous group um, to show the success. I don't know if WWE will will pick up on that, but they always like some good stats. For like for them to be able to do that, is that a good number, like a bad number? Is that expected? I'm just kind of trying to think of, because there's really nothing to judge it from. There's no kind of baseline. So is this good, bad, and different? Um, yeah, kind of indifferent. You'd imagine shows that are watched by millions of people that, you know, you'd be able to fill up all the seats most, uh, you know, all the time for fans that want to be on TV. So glad it's humming along. It seems like they figured out how to, um, you know, not show uh, Chris Benoit um, photos or uh, Ku Klux Klan members or, you know, other offensive content in the Thunderdome. I haven't heard reports of that in a while. So it seems like things are humming along as, as best they can right now. That's one of those things where it's like, I guess it's a it's a great thing because you can say five hundred thousand fans registered to be a part of it. You know, you can kind of make it a grandiose big number, but it also is how many screens are there and how, you know how many people are being denied to get to get in and how many. You know what I mean? Like, I wonder if there's an actual thing where it's where it's so popular that they actually have to be turning a lot of people away. 
Yeah, I'd imagine that they do. I think it's like if you get on there, you're I've never tried, but I'd imagine people getting pretty excited to get on there, right? Like, you know, if you love watching the show and your friends do too, and you can tell them you're going to be on the show, that's a pretty cool thing. Yes, definitely. I feel like with the Thunderdome, it's cool and it's a cool concept, but you just don't really truly know how many people are invested and interested in it. Uh, until like you come along and give us these numbers because I had no idea. I was like, oh, I wonder if people are interested. I wonder if people like it. Obviously, I mean, there there's fans out there that are digging it. Yeah, you know, um, I think it's something they could probably uh, charge for. You know, if this uh, this keeps going on, maybe a package deal. Get yourself on a full week of programming or a full month. Um, you know, why not? Yeah, it's a kind of a, a, a cool thing, especially if you can't go to the shows. You, you feel like you're a part of the show even though you're not technically there. Yeah. And, um, you know, you screenshot it and um, DVR it and you can share it with everyone. What is going on on the latest with Dusty Rhodes and his IP? Yeah. So, you know, we've, we've heard sort of Cody Rhodes getting, you know, the, the use of his name back and um, kind of, uh, you know, uh, seeking uh, through the patent and trademark office sort of to get Dusty Rhodes, his, his father, of course, his name back. So there was a great article on J.D. Supra um, from a legal perspective that explained it um, so well. And I'll just read some some portions of it just to give us an idea. Runnels predates wrestling as a big business, and he survived, thrived, and held every role in the business. He also never registered Dusty Rhodes' moniker as a service mark, nor did any other entity that could arguably claim rights to the mark. Experienced trademark attorneys are valuable in considering whether or not to do that. He worked in multiple territories, um, and uh, he or the promotion he worked for had unregistered or common law service mark rights in the Dusty Rhodes character, but none of these companies sought to register this trademark. Yet it's the norm for wrestlers or event promotion entities to federally register through the USPTO. Sometimes wrestlers use numerous names. Um, Virgil had more, you know, Virgil Runnels had more than one marriage and more than one child, as we know. Two of his sons followed him into the business. Their relationship has been, uh, they've both worked together and apart. They have both gotten along. Well, we don't know that the speculation. Um, okay, so they, they tell us about their sons. Um, and then thinking about the Dusty Rose name has never been federally registered and legally and publicly claimed. The more successful younger half-brother decided that someone should claim ownership of this common law mark. He filed a trademark application for the service on March 11, 2019. The USPTO issued a denial of registration due to alleged market confusion with the registered marks The Natural Dustin Rhodes and Dustin Rhodes to federally registered uh, applicants other than his brother, of course. Um, Cody worked with AEW's IP attorneys and responded to the refusal on the day of the 180 deadlines, trying to argue that the marks are sufficiently different. The USPTO was not con convinced, and a second and final denial was issued. This time, Cody responded with a trademark consent agreement in which Dustin consented to Cody's ownership and use of the state name for their father. 
Remarkably, the USPTO accepted the consent despite the close similarity of the marks and services that obviously must refer to the same business. Three federal registrations exist that feature the Dusty Roads mark and cover entertainment services, yet two completely different owners are on record as owning these registrations. So is there a unity of source for all of these registered marks? More remarkable is that Cody obtained this signed agreement from his brother, considering all the um, you know, disagreements that many professional matches uh, have occurred. We, ne we may never know what other agreements were made between the family members, um, but this is an example of the trademark legal process played out in the entertaining entertainment business. So, sorry, a little bit confusing <laughs> there, uh, more than I was expecting when I first read it through, but it was just interesting to show that not only has the Rhodes name sort of been up in the air, but it depends on the uh, individual. They seem to infer that, um, you know, the the brothers don't get, always get along. I've never heard anything about that, and I wouldn't speculate on that. But it sort of shows us, you know, how it's not always so easy to get your own uh, intellectual property or, or that of a family member. I feel like they might be talking about a little bit of a storyline issue. They never had any issues that I know of. Um you know, I follow it pretty closely, I would say. Uh, I've never heard of them having one issue at all, <laughs> except for storylines. So I feel like maybe they're kind of meshing both worlds there. But that's interesting. So WWE didn't own the Dusty Rhodes IP? Yeah, it seemed like they sort of like, um, they, uh, right. Like, that's what I had always heard. And then I guess I guess that had lapsed. So we need some, you know, the, the legal eagles in the field help us take this article and, uh, you know, dive a bit deeper into it and, and let us know where it stands. Tweet us about it. Yeah, I feel like um, there was a big issue because if you remember that rumor, I don't know if this actually came out to be true or not, but that Cody Rhodes ended up trading his last name for all the dusty intellectual properties that he created, like the Bash of the Beach name and a bunch of other names that they were going to use and have used for AEW, and he traded him to get his name back. I don't know if that's actually true. Did you hear that or not? No, I hadn't heard that, but you know the, the timing seems to make sense. But AEW loves the, the beach stuff. I forgot what they're calling their show this week or next week, but it seems to have some sort of beach theme. Although yeah, beach. I think they're saying it's beach break um, instead of bash the beach like they called it last year. Yeah, and nothing against North Florida. Um, my grandparents used to live in St. Augustine, which is just outside Jacksonville and the same market, but the beach wasn't that great there. You know, <laughs> it kind of felt like I was stepping on like broken shells all the time, as opposed to Miami. That's, you know, beautiful. So comfortable, but not, not, not meaning any hate to North Florida. Don't, don't um, send us any hate mail, <laughs> but uh, it's just funny when I think about sort of like all these beach themes in, uh, in the Jacksonville area. The thing about that is, and I guess um, gimmick attorney, Mike Dawkins, who's a great, um, trademark lawyer he might know i know he helped arn anderson out with the four horsemen i know he helped conrad out with a bunch of stuff uh, conrad thompson with a bunch of stuff that he needs to get trademarks so i feel like he would probably know a lot about trademarks and ip maybe he would be a great person to talk to maybe even get on eventually but i feel like wb definitely had an issue with that Rhodes name because obviously it was just american nightmare cody instead of using cody Rhodes, and all of a sudden they became owners of Bash of the Beach again and all these other one intellectual properties that they had let go and they forgot of and all dusty creations. So Cody had a right to them. And now all of a sudden, AEW no longer uses those names. And now he's Cody Rhodes again. So I think that there was a trade involved there. I don't know if that was made public or not. 
Yeah, and it's always a fun thing to follow once in a while. Uh, I, I go in and search sort of trademarks and patents. And um, I was tweeting in the last week, sort of, um, it was known, of course, that WWE had bought all these different territorial tapes. But what people didn't know was that, and I didn't know, um, was that you can actually look up because they have to like list each one. So it was like a listing of all the USWA tapes. And then, you know, I was looking at ECW ownership and then sort of like they delineated that out what shows and who they sold it to. So that's kind of fun stuff that you often don't see out there in mainstream wrestling, but there's stuff you can have fun with and poke around in uh, public um, government resources. So before we go to viewer or listener questions, um, I'd love to go back and talk about George and Michelle's uh, big week. I know that we've sort of spotlighted what they were doing, but um, but now we have more information about them. I would love to do that. I know we were kind of glanced over them before, but what's going on? What is this big week? And what is this quote unquote blank check they're talking about? Yeah. So, you know, it's really interesting because the day before it broke, I was actually talking to um, a friend who's a uh, business reporter. And um, I didn't know if he was telling me was like something that like wasn't fully out there yet. And like he was going to break the story soon. So I didn't want to like <laughs> to break it for him or like you know, before any details were out, but then I was happy to see that the next day it was out there. So it's really interesting and it's a little bit complicated, but um, you can, um, you can go public pretty quickly with like a certain designation of your company. So ISOS, um, their company is actually registered in the Cayman Islands, which always makes me question things a little bit, but their offices are in Westport, Connecticut. Uh, so what they're planned to do is to raise $200 million um, through a, a public offering um, and uh, then to promise within 24 months that they will invest in a media entertainment or sports related company. It, it's their structure so that the, they're promising to invest the money and that's guiding where they'll um, be uh, investing it. Um, it's a blank. So it's sort of like, it's giving them the money to do what they want with it. Um, and some of the curious things that I found in their uh, filings with the SEC was that Mr. Barrios and Ms. Wilson drove significant change at World Wrestling Entertainment, shifting the business from a North American-centric television broadcast media platform to a global multi-platform brand. So I think Vince wouldn't like to hear that they were the ones that did that. Um, they had listed at WWE, they were part of a disciplined leadership group. So my joke was that, uh, not if you were going to Raw at 3 p.m. So I think on the business side, I can imagine it being disciplined. Um, and the WWE connections are further tied in. Perkins Miller um, is on their board of this company who had served as the WWE Executive Vice President of Digital Media from 2012 to 2014. Um, and they wrote, we plan to pursue business combination opportunities with companies operating in the digital media and entertainment industries. And this part really struck me as something close to pro wrestling, although I think ultimately they won't invest in pro wrestling, but maybe it's something that has similar business um, strategies, maybe like a streaming platform, because they wrote the convergence of live entertainment with interactive and digital media will create significant investment and partnership opportunities to meet the growing demand for experiences. Furthermore, 
monetization of large catalogs of global franchise IP across all entertainment channels, coupled with continued audience expansion and increased connectivity, will continue to fuel newly established consumer internet platforms. We intend to focus on businesses that operate category-leading media, entertainment, and or digitally-enabled marketplaces, services, and platforms where we can leverage the collaborative expertise of our management team, board of directors and advisors. We intend to focus on businesses that have a defensible brand or unique product line that provide a clear competitive differentiation and can access a large target addressable market opportunity. Wow, this is interesting stuff from them, but it's still no $1 billion deal though, you know what I mean? They're, uh, they're not shaking the foundations like WB did. Yeah, no, they're, you know, 200 million, they, they could, um, you know, invest in, in early startups, certainly, or in uh, certainly mid-level companies. So there's a lot of investment opportunities, but I don't think they're going to buy a, um, a marquee uh, mainstream brand. They might be able to get a, a good percentage in it to have some say. Um, uh, and... Um, but uh, but it'll take some time to grow whatever they're planning to do. This has been an action-packed week. Um, we will definitely take your questions next week. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Sound, sounds good. So this has been a gigantic action-packed week here on the business of the business. We cannot fit in the questions this week because it's we're going to really really delve into them, and there's a bunch of good ones. So we will definitely do that next week we'll really really uh dive into them and really really get a hold of them because there's i think at least four or five and they each deserve a few minutes of their own time so quickly into the plugs you can follow me on twitter and instagram at two man power trip lavi what about you lavi marg l-a-v-i-e-m-a-r-g at twitter lioncubjobsearch.com and check check out my books on amazon.com all right awesome stuff and next week we will get into, obviously, the listener questions, and we will go further into this WB Peacock deal. So thank you, everybody, for joining us this week, and we'll see you right back here next week on The Business of the Business. See you next week, folks. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You could follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You could check us out on Facebook. You could subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash TMPT Empire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two Man Power Trip, where the power lies brother.